And I'd like us to have our readings now, which Richard's going to bring for us this morning. The first reading is from Acts chapter 16, verses 9 to 15, and can be found on page 145 in the New Testament section of the Bible. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshipper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. And the second reading is from Luke, chapter 24, uh, verses 44 to 49. And can be found on page 97 in the New Testament section of the Bible. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
Jesus, this morning, would you open our minds to understand the scriptures and would you open our hearts to receive you and your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as some of you will know, exam fever is stalking our house at the moment. And I think it will be sticking around for quite a few weeks. Yes, we have our younger daughter doing her GCSEs. And as I see her swatting over her books as she attempts to remember everything that she's been taught over the last few years, it's brought back quite a few memories for me of my own exam season. And particularly as I've watched her struggle with the sciences, um, I've been reminiscing about how science was for me. You see, at my school, there was a rule that said that everyone had to take at least one science GCSE. And I'm sure that the physics, biology, and chemistry teachers drew straws to see which one would get me. The biology teacher lost, and after two years of quite good teaching and quite hard work, I still failed to achieve a pass level. I am hoping and praying that that gene hasn't been passed on. But you know, as I have been helping out with revision at home, I've been quite surprised at how much I still know including quite a few mnemonics. I don't know if you know what mnemonics are, those phrases or sentences that we make up to help us to remember lists of facts. And one of those mnemonics came to mind this week as I was helping with some biology revision and was at the same time trying to think about these stories that we get in Acts about the church. And the mnemonic that came to my mind was Mrs. Gren. Now, did anybody else here have Mrs. Gren in their biology lessons? Oh, I've got two or three, two or three nods, yes. Um, hopefully you can remember what they all stood for then. So Mrs. Gren, the letters that make up Mrs. Gren are those um, for remembering the seven processes of life. So all living things are supposed to have these things. M is for movement. R is for respiration. S is for sensitivity. G is for growth, the second R is for reproduction, E is for excretion, and N is for nutrition. <coughs> so by now you're probably wondering whether you're in church or a GCSE biology revision class. Don't worry, they wouldn't ever let me teach GCSE biology. But there is a good connection, because every year in these weeks that follow on from Easter, we have a selection of readings from the book of Acts, or to give it its full name, the Acts of the Apostles. It's all about how those first disciples were living, how they were alive in God through Jesus, and how through them the church came to life and grew exponentially. And it all goes back to Easter and the resurrection. In that reading we heard from Luke, Jesus was talking to his disciples just before his ascension. We celebrate ascension this week on Thursday. At that stage, for the disciples, the whole point of the resurrection was that they had Jesus back. Jesus, who they loved, who they'd given up their lives to follow, was alive again. It was good news. He'd been dead, and now he was alive. He spoke with them. He taught them again. He prayed with them. He ate with them. And they could reach out and touch him. But as the days went on between the resurrection and the ascension... Jesus made it clear to his friends that the real point of the resurrection wasn't just about him being alive again. It was that through him, everyone could be alive fully, 
because of what Jesus had done. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed in all places to all people. Life in all its fullness, eternal life, was and is available to everyone. And so those stories that we have in Acts remind us about how the disciples went about doing what Jesus had told them to do, how they went about proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins. And as we read those stories, we can be reminded and learn how the church came to life and how the church grew. And that word grew and growth, it's really important for us to think about this morning. If you're ever able to sit down and read the book of Acts all in one go, then I would challenge you to do so. It's an exciting read. It's a pacey story. One of the words that comes to mind when, when I read the book of Acts all in one go was that word growth. The church grows phenomenally from being a few disciples in an upper room to spreading right across the Roman Empire. So whenever we're thinking about our own growth, and particularly because we're preparing for thy kingdom come, when we will be praying for five particular friends to turn to Christ, then it's good that we turn to the book of Acts to see what we learn from it. Now the first thing that we learn in today's story is that growth comes as we discern and obey the Spirit of God. As we work out what it is that he wants us to do. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that gives Paul the vision that sends him to Macedonia. And that vision comes after he's tried quite a few other things. He's found his way blocked. He's found himself unable to proceed. And it's only as Paul discerns where the Spirit of God is really at work that the way before him finding out what God wants. I think it's the hardest part of being a Christian. So it's quite encouraging to know that Paul struggled with it too. And he struggled with it by trying things out. You know, discernment doesn't mean sitting around doing nothing and waiting for God to put a message in the sky telling you what to do or who to speak to. Most often, in my experience, discernment comes as a result of trying out things that we think might be from God. Sometimes we find that the way is blocked. Just as Paul did, we find ourselves unable to proceed. Sometimes we find that we have to go back and pray again to find a better way, to find God's way, to find a clearer way of doing things. But growing begins with that discernment, with finding out what God wants us to do, who God wants us to speak to, and where he wants us to put ourselves. And then when we know that, of course, like Paul, we have to respond with obedience. When Paul gets his vision, they're all in agreement that this is a clear sign from God, that they are to go to Macedonia. And so they head straight for Philippi, to the leading city, and to a very pro-Roman colony. Because they're doing what God wants them to do, the way is clear. Their travel is direct. God is with them and has gone ahead of them to prepare hearts and minds to receive him. And they meet Lydia, a woman who is already a worshipper of God, but whose heart was ready to be opened to the good news about Jesus. It's just the same for us today. As we discern where God wants us to be by putting our focus on him, 
then we will find that he is already at work by his Holy Spirit. And that reminds us that the work of growth is God's work and not ours. It's God who will convince people to turn to him. As we read Acts, we can easily fall into the trap of thinking that everyone that heard Paul's message turned to Christ. And lots did, but lots and lots didn't. Lots of people didn't believe anything that Paul said. Lots of people thought that he was a troublemaker or a fool saying foolish things. People thought he should be locked up. The same thing had happened to Jesus. Jesus spoke to lots of people. Not everybody followed him. We don't often understand why that is. Perhaps it's a question of timing and prayer. But what we do need to understand, what we really need to understand as we begin praying for our five friends this season of Thy Kingdom Come, is that the Holy Spirit is already at work in some people's hearts and that he can and will direct us to the people who are ready to receive the good news about Jesus. That's God's work, to seek them out. Our job is to seek them out and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Growth happens because God gives the growth. And that means that we need to be quite open-minded. Growth in this story comes in an unexpected place and through unexpected people. Lydia wasn't an obvious convert. She was probably an independent and fairly wealthy Gentile woman. She probably didn't fit what Paul was looking for. Because usually when Paul arrived in a new city, he would try to establish a meeting point. And it was usually through the synagogue that he did this, working through the men that he met at the synagogue. It was a good system. I mean, Paul was a Jewish man. He was telling them about Jesus, another Jewish man. So it made sense for him to start off proclaiming the gospel to those that he had things in common with. That was his expectation. That was the area he expected to work in. But in Philippi, there is no mention of a synagogue. That suggests that there weren't enough men to produce, to, to form a synagogue. There was a minimum number required. But instead, there was an established meeting place for prayer. Interesting that it's down outside the city by the river. And so on the Sabbath day, that's where Paul and his friends head, outside the boundaries of the city, outside the boundaries of their expectations. And they speak to the women, even further outside the boundaries of their culture. But that is where God is at work. That is where hearts and minds are ready to receive him, in the unexpected places and with unexpected people. And Lydia hears and accepts what they have to say. And she and her household are baptised. And she invites Paul and his friends to stay with her. Paul has established his base in the city. And Lydia continues to be a faithful supporter of his work as the church in Philippi comes to life and begins to grow. Interesting, isn't it, that as soon as Lydia is baptised, the first response she wants to make to the gospel is to offer hospitality and generosity. Perhaps this is a real response to being fully alive in Christ. So according to the stories in Acts, and I've picked one, but I could have picked others, the early church grew because 
The followers of Jesus proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins to those in whom the Holy Spirit was already at work. And as they heard and received Jesus into their hearts, they began to experience what it meant to be fully alive in God. And their lives were changed and growth happened. Becoming fully alive in God. I wonder this morning whether you are feeling fully alive in God. Are you? Are you feeling fully alive in God? What does that actually mean? Well, I think that takes us right back to Mrs. Gren and the biology revision. What are those essential signs that we are alive? Well, M was for movement. Things that are alive move. If we're alive in God, there should be some evidence of movement within our spiritual life. We should be making progress with our discipleship. We should, over time, be coming more and more like Jesus. Our characters should be changing noticeably. The R was for respiration. That is the process of turning food into energy. Our spiritual food. Well, it's the word of God. We take it in by reading it and studying it and praying it. We allow it to energize our faith and influence our lives. For some of us as well, our spiritual food comes through the bread and wine that we share during communion. We do it in remembrance of Jesus and because he commanded us to. But somehow by God's grace we find it sustains our faith and gives us energy to continue being a disciple. S was for sensitivity. If we are fully alive then one of the signs of that is that we are sensitive to the needs that we find around us. We want to respond to those needs through our prayers, through our giving through the choices that we make, through the way that we live and our actions. And G, of course, is for growth. If we're alive in God, then we should be growing, no matter what age we are, no matter what stage of faith we are at. Just as the church in Acts grew, so we should grow. We should be growing in our depths of faith. We should be growing in our understanding. We should be growing in our love of God and our impact on the world around us. And if we aren't, then we aren't fully alive. The second R was for reproduction. Now this is another type of growth. So part of being alive in God is producing offspring, not necessarily having babies, but certainly by increasing our numbers, by making new disciples. Having the capacity to reproduce is a process of being alive. E is for excretion, getting rid of the waste. When we first turn to Christ, we do that. We turn to him in repentance for our sins. But we all know that we carry on messing up and we need to continue receiving God's mercy of asking him to take the rubbish of our lives away and asking for his help in not going back to those things that we have done. And finally, the N, well, it's for nutrition. Everything that is alive needs to have the right balance of food in order to thrive. We all know that. But spiritually, do we know that? Are we taking in a balanced diet? Are we getting the required amounts of Bible study and prayer and worship? Are we balancing our spiritual diet with good works, with hospitality, with generosity, with fellowship, and of course, with rest and refreshment? 
in a moment we're going to pause and think about how alive we are feeling today. But before we do that, and for the benefit of any biology teachers that might be here this morning, I need to add another letter, because somehow between 1988 and and 2019, another essential life process has been added to the list. Apparently, Mrs. Gren has become Mrs. Grine, and I has been added to the mnemonic. I've learned this week that I stands for internal control. Things that are alive can have internal control over some of their workings. Things like being able to monitor their temperature. And I think that control is perhaps one of the most challenging things of us all to think about when we think about being alive in God. Because it suggests that we must take some sort of responsibility for ourselves and for our growth. When we respond to God's message of repentance and forgiveness, Christ himself will come and live within us and bring us to life. But we remain autonomous creatures. We still have to make our own choices. And essentially those choices come down to whether we will live God's way or whether we will live our own way. We have to make those choices every day about every part of living. God gives his Holy Spirit to help us But he doesn't take us over like a robot. We retain our internal control. But being alive in God means that we submit that control to his will and his ways. The book of Acts is full of stories of individuals and churches becoming fully alive. And it ends with Paul in Rome under house arrest, but still proclaiming the kingdom of God, still teaching about Jesus. But the Acts of the Apostles doesn't finish with the end of the book. They still continue today. We might not think of ourselves as apostles, but we are their descendants. We stand on their shoulders. And just as they were fully alive in God, so should we be. Our call is to continue the work that they began, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about repentance and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. As we've heard this morning, that work begins by discerning where the Spirit of God is at work, going to where hearts and minds are ready to be opened to his love, even when they aren't the ones that we expected or in places we expected to go. So this Thursday we are beginning our Thy Kingdom Come activities. They will give us an amazing opportunity to grow as we pray for other people People whose hearts and minds God is already at work in. To come to know what it means to be fully alive in God themselves. So perhaps between now and Thursday, as thy kingdom come starts, we need to be praying to the Holy Spirit to show us which people he wants us to be praying for, which people are ready to come to know God themselves. Are we fully alive in Christ? Let's just pause for a moment and then I'll pray. Father God, we thank you that through Jesus we can be fully alive. Help us to embrace that life 
Help us to share the message of your love with other people. Help us to know who those people are that you are already at work within. And go before us to prepare the way so that when we tell them about how much you love them, they will be ready to respond. And Father, help us each this morning to be more fully alive in you through Jesus. Amen.